headed to VR World, which is on 34th and between 5th and Madison. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. No one should be embarrassed to not know what AR and VR stand for. They are augmented reality, virtual reality, and it's an area where most people, myself included, are really not experts. There are a few experts, and we're going to go looking for them in coming episodes. But they've been around for a long time, and... I remember putting on, uh, you know, my first headset as a teenager when groups were working on VR setups that looked very different. I had the really crazy coincidental fortune of having a sister-in-law who worked for a small firm that was pushing VR in the 90s. Um, and firms like this did a ton to uh, evolve VR in a way that made it more accessible to the gaming industry and more interesting to um, the consumer. However, in 20 years, uh, it really hasn't come as far as maybe we would have expected in the 90s. So what interests me most about AR and VR right now is that it's one of those areas that you can just sense how much the edtech industry is sort of salivating. You have sales teams all over the country who are just dying for the technology to come far enough that we can make it just that much more accessible to schools and fit into the billions of dollars that are spent every year on procurement on edtech in this country. I guess I sound a little bit like a... um, like a cynic. Uh, Okay, but what interests me the most is not, uh, you know, what, let's assume that AR and VR is not gonna solve all our problems. No such thing as an AR VR solution to everything that is not working so far in education. However, we're gonna ask in coming episodes some hard questions uh, about what is working in AR and VR? What do we have to look forward to and what are young people and educators most excited about? This episode incorporates some interviews that I was lucky to get this summer at the 2017 Games for Change Festival, which is a conference in New York City that is near and dear to my heart Uh, It's taught me a lot over the years, and I think the community that comes together for Games for Change is one of the most special things about it. This year was the first year that Games for Change started what they call the VR Summit, and I spoke with Sarah Cornish. Sarah Cornish, I'm the Senior Director of Programs and Strategy at Games for Change. Who told me a little bit more about how Games for Change got involved and and decided to throw the summit this year. The interviews that I took were from Cool VR Cocktail Party at a place called VR World uh, in Midtown Manhattan. It's a a block from the Empire State Building. It's a really cool space if you get a chance to be there. 
Um, I understand that it's slated to be there for a little bit longer at least. Um, and I think that there are efforts to try and make that a more permanent space. Anyhow, you walk in and it's sort of this arcade setting and there are people lined up and this is the last day of a conference. So obviously everybody's kind of supercharged. They're gonna be traveling the next day. They're ready to just sort of unwind and kick back, maybe have a drink, uh, enjoy some VR, which is not a combination I would necessarily recommend. But it was a really incredible event. It's a great first taste of conversation about where VR lands in the context of education and it was a really neat opportunity i hope you enjoy some of these interviews uh like i said it's just a taste and we're going to talk lots about vr in uh coming episodes the vr for change summit came about uh in early 2017 uh, when games for change was invited actually to join a white house convening of VR developers, AR developers, storytellers, and content producers, as well as uh, leaders from the education community to talk about the incredible opportunities for using VR in radically new ways. So I'm talking about health and journalism, as well as uh, gaming and education. I just want to pause here and shed a quick tear for the Office of Science and Technology, which is run very much... Um, as an initiative out of the White House. And this current administration has not had great support for the OST. In fact, uh, most of the talent uh, and research that was happening or initiatives that were happening out of OST have since been put on pause or have gone away entirely. I mention that because I don't think the Office of Science and Technology is often associated with the field of education. But in the years that I've been working in this field, OST has brought together a number of convenings, uh, making and learning, games and education, in this case, VR. Um, this is a really important office for the field. And I mention it here because those of you listening who are thinking, where do I um, reach out and make sure that I'm advocating for my field in this current administration, this current political climate? Um reach out to your electeds and talk about the Office of Science and Technology and the importance of places like this uh, for uh, advancing our field and making sure that the latest and greatest are being thought of that help us innovate. Very little has been done to bring together the VR for social impact community. There are countless conferences and summits on you know the power of virtual reality and all the kind of promises of the technology but uh, few organizations have actually looked at how to um, how to address the potential of VR for social change and so um, organizations creating compelling experiences and tools in the VR space uh, with social causes are interested more and more in using VR to advance their missions. So we're seeing organizations like Planned Parenthood, uh, like um, the U.S. Department of Education, take interest in VR. And so Games for Change um, has sort of a unique position to address the need to bring together these two communities of developers and of social innovators and change makers. We've got over a decade of doing that in the games industry, uh, bringing together again kind of game designers and industry partners with nonprofits, foundations, and government across a broad spectrum of issue areas. And so, uh, so we put together a uh, VR for Change Summit in summer 
2017 to convene this community and explore the potential of VR for change. And so, um, so at the VR for Change Summit, uh, we had leaders from Facebook, IBM, the former chief technology officer of the U.S. under Obama, uh, Megan Smith, as well as educators and developers from, uh, from learning game studios like Shell Games and Filament Games. We had, uh, we had journalists uh, from the New York Times. We had Journalism 360 with the Knight Foundation facilitate conversations about VR for... Uh, for storytelling and uh, interactive journalism. And we also looked at VR and AR in the health sector for medical research and, um, and therapy. Games for Change is putting together an advisory committee uh, of leaders in the, this VR for Change community to continue exploring how VR and AR can drive social impact. Um, we will also be launching uh, prize challenges other events uh, and a communication strategy in 2017 and 2018 to continue building this new field. If you're interested in learning more about VR for Change, you can get in touch with Games for Change at partnerships at gamesforchange.org. We also have a Facebook group um, that's uh, brought together a community of folks interested in the field and uh, doing interesting projects as well. You can follow Games for Change on Twitter at G4C as well as on Facebook and YouTube at Games for Change. Eric Martin is a guy that I met a couple of years ago when he was at the um, he was at the Federal Department of Education doing some work in the uh, Technology and Education Office uh, under um, a gentleman by the name of Richard Collada. And um, Eric is such an incredible young guy. And I was so grateful to have spent some more time with him at the festival this year. He has since gone on to uh, take a role with uh, the software group Unity, uh, who makes the Unity game engine. And he's leading education efforts for Unity uh, we're going to catch up more about that in an episode next month uh, when I am out on the West Coast and we can talk more deeply. In the meantime, I would encourage everybody to check out Eric's um, TEDx talk on YouTube. Uh, if you type in Eric with a K, Martin, um, and TEDx or TEDx and World of Warcraft, you will likely get his talk. It's one of the most powerful stories from a young person uh, I've heard about how games have impacted or influenced uh, their own sort of uh, development and how they see themselves and, uh, and, and how they interact with the world around them. Uh, Eric is just such an incredible brain. I was grateful to get a few questions from him uh, on VR specifically. All right, so tell us your name and what you do. I'm Eric Martin. I'm the curator for the VR Summit, which is over, <laughs> which is great. Uh, and I'm uh, the senior education program manager at Unity Technologies. What does Unity do for educators who might not know what it is? So Unity is a game engine and editor. So it's the platform that you can put together all of the different pieces of a video game or a virtual experience. Uh, and then publish it to all kinds of different platforms, everything from virtual reality to your iPhone to Android to desktop. Um, if you think of a lot of popular video games like Pokemon Go or uh, Hearthstone or um, many of the virtual reality experiences here at the Summit, many of them are built with Unity. 
And what you do is you, we provide a platform where you have a developer, a coder, um, people who are writing the actual programming for the games, and then people who are creating the art, the sound, um, and the mechanics, people who are creating the storylines, and they pull all of those different pieces together inside Unity, and then you publish it as a game, which is great. Sweet. Some, some would say Unity is like the, the platform at we the like moment. We like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, why, because you are a curator of this event, why is it important that Games for Change is doing a VR summit this year uh, new? This is a brand new thing that they're doing. So I think anytime that there's an emerging medium or a new technology, um, it is really important to think about how do we leverage that technology for positive change in the world? And that is not something that just happens, you know, naturally. It requires being intentional and it requires debate and consideration and learning and sharing. Um, and so this VR community is super exciting because you have artists, you have researchers, educators, developers, um, people from journalists, like people from all of these different communities who are interested in using virtual reality and, and augmented reality uh, to tell stories and to create content in new ways. And so this summit is just an opportunity for everyone to sort of share across all of those different types of projects and figure out where are the exciting intersections and the potential for making a positive impact. Um, yeah. What's your favorite VR game? My favorite VR game. Or AR. Uh, well, AR is easy. That's Pokemon Go. Like, <laughs> uh, me and like millions of kids. So um, my favorite VR game. So one. I don't have a favorite yet because I like, you're constantly trying new stuff every week. Um, one of my favorites is a game called Super Chem by Shell Games. Just because what it does is it creates a uh, chemistry lab for students and it allows them to do experiments which would be very difficult for them to do in real life, especially if they have limited resources. And so it allows a kid to do things which would be impossible in the real world and potentially gives them access to scientific concepts and learning that they might not have access to in the real world also, which is actually like a very powerful use case of VR for improving education meaningfully and not just being like, oh, well, like kids can be thrown into like the pyramids at Giza and like that's very cool, but how do you actually add value? <laughs> and make sure that like, you know, it provides something that kids would not otherwise have access to. So uh, real or no such thing, a future where VR, AR, mixed reality have a huge part in public education and public spaces uh, for learning. So I think one of the most important things for us to get right in this space is how do we not just create amazing content that enables students to learn things better and gives them the opportunity to try things in virtual reality that they might not be able to learn and do in real life. Um, whether that's like Google Expeditions or Superchem, like I just said. But also, how do you turn students into creators and not just be consumers? I think it's hugely important across a whole range of different mediums, everything from you know, film to computer science at large. Um, for this medium in particular, I think it's super cool for and exciting for students when they jump into a virtual world. It is a million more times cool when they actually build that virtual world and then they step inside of it and they realize like all of these incredible experiences that they see around them, they're just built by other people. And you can become one of those people who creates those digital things that millions of people play and, and experience. And so 
I think the community has to be really intentional about not just creating content, but what is our philosophy about making sure that many other kinds of people and communities of people are have access to these technologies and can be creators themselves. We're like democratizing creativity. So uh, what's the most exciting future you can imagine for AR, VR, mixed reality in education? I think top of the list, it has to be accessible. Um, it would be amazing if this technology enables people to have opportunities they would not otherwise have. Uh, I, and that means not just like giving them access to faraway places and incredible animals and like really cool stories um, and being able to empathize with people they might not never ever meet in real life. Um, but also is opportunities like what we're trying to do at Unity, which is empower students with skills to create the future, right? It's like if digital technology is only gonna become more central to our culture, only gonna become a, a more dominant force in terms of where ideas and values and, and beliefs um, are all shared and, and expressed, then we need everyone to be able to contribute to that medium. And we need to make sure people can express their ideas and not just consume others. Um, and make sure that it's, you know, we don't carry over the baggage that we've had in other media industries, like Hollywood, which uh, is not had a great track record in terms of like making sure women have empowered roles and making sure minorities are um, represented uh, fairly or have equal opportunity to represent it, representation. Or video games, much less, right? Like, how do we make sure that this medium is something that everyone has access to create for and not just consume. That's beautiful. I love that vision. There's a game called Sea Hero Quest where people are actually taking real data from Alzheimer's research and putting it into a game. And you, by playing the game, are helping contribute directly to that Alzheimer's research um, by mapping out um, that data in a way that the game designers have crafted. Uh, that otherwise would not be possible for scientists to crack alone without millions of people playing that game. Or another one is Fold It, which is just a, just a desktop game um, where you map and fold proteins. Uh, and they reduced uh, the time it took to find a, a specific protein structure that scientists hadn't uncovered for over a decade. It's called for the monkey virus, which is um, for AIDS research. And in the span of a few weeks, by crowdsourcing this video game, they had people playing and helping contribute to the research around this particular virus, uh, and actually published like real, a real peer-reviewed journal article based off of people's gameplay that helped move the field forward and make a real medical breakthrough. And so, like the opportunity to do that same kind of thing in VR is huge. It's uh, pretty incredible. So, what last question? Uh, what do you think is the greatest limitation or barrier to educators sort of believing in and getting into VR and, and what advice would you have for them? I mean, look, like if there are educators who are solving this problem, I want to learn from them. <laughs> um, they're just, there's an enormous need to, for, for, for educators to build a community around solving these problems and making sure that we're tackling issues of equity and we're making sure that things are accessible and we're making sure you know kids with disabilities have access, making sure representation, like when kids are building these virtual experiences, if that's the future that we want in education, like 
students as creators, not consumers, then we need assets like models and, and characters that look like all of the students who might potentially be building with it, not just like white characters, right? And so like um, for educators, I think a big piece of the question is helping the creators of these new technologies understand what it is that they need in their classrooms that will actually be useful. What kinds of experiences and what kinds of tools do technologists need to create that aren't just like flashy and shiny, but actually enable students to have a better opportunity in their life uh, than they would otherwise have. Like that's a thing that educators can express and need to. Um, I'm pretty sure that I didn't answer the question, but I, it's kind of hard to hear. So <laughs> that was brilliant. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate your time. So tell me about the game you just played. I was climbing a wall. Felt like I was gonna fall <laughs> off the cliff. It was pretty, pretty insane. Was was it the um, was it the game that was doing it or uh, your state? <laughs> no, it was definitely the game. It was rock climbing. And I was out in the Alps, medium level, and it was just like, my mind was messing with me with the elevation, and just like, oh, if I let go of here, I'm gonna fall off this wall. Did you play too? I didn't play, but I did play a different game where I also was sweating afterwards, because there's, there's bullets coming at you, and you have the ability to dodge them. So you actually dodge them. And one, like everyone wants to dodge bullets in their life at least once. So you go for it and it's like an incredible, it, it was a pretty cool experience. Russell Cohen-Hoffing was an academic researcher, is an academic researcher, and he was uh, sort of uh, lingering around where I was doing some interviews for the podcast and admitted to me that he's a huge fan of podcasts and was just curious about what I was up to. I took the opportunity to accost him and have him do an interview for me. It turns out that uh, Russell, really interestingly, is an academic researcher at UC Riverside, and he's doing research on uh, brain training games and what makes an effective brain training game. And so he had some interesting things to say as well about uh, VR from his angle. What do you think is the most exciting thing about VR in education? I think one of the most exciting things is the motivational, at least that's the idea with these things, right? Is that you can motivate people in ways that uh, that they couldn't otherwise be motivated and that you don't necessarily need a, you know, to, to have a teacher who's you know, like an incredibly trained teacher. You know, everyone is not going to get that, right? Uh, at least that's the idea and that VR can kind of take the place of some sort of motivational effect. Um, but, you know, and the big but is, right, what does motivation have to do with learning? And it's, you know, that, that's at least in some of my research that it's just, it's really not clear how motivation can actually help and improve learning. Um, but, but I think, you know, one of the really exciting things for, for me um, and, and the implications for some of my research is the, 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 the way that you can study um, uh, real life situations that you couldn't do otherwise. Um, and, and while you're doing those situations that there's, as, I mean, this is the case with all technology, that you have a really good way to measure what's going on. So what's an example of a real life situation? 
So I'll give a I'll give an example. I think that is, is really really cool. Um, so uh, to put this in context, when as a as a cognitive psychologist, we want to be able to measure people's abilities, right? Um, and and that's really important for learning because you want to meet the person where they are, and if they need to improve or change in some way, you so you have some baseline, and then you know what they where they need to go from there. But but the state of assessments right now in cognitive psychologies are, to be frank, are crap. That you have incredibly simplified, superficial, sterile lab experiments. And when you're in VR, you can kind of put, contextualize some of these in real life. And the example that I give is actually, so this weekend I participated in a VR brain jam where they paired uh, researchers with game developers. And one of the teams that I was on uh, is trying to study risk propensity. So some people are more likely to take risks than others. And so when we try to study this thing, when we try to study this thing, they have these tasks called, you know, the, these tasks where uh, you're supposed to pump up a balloon with air. And every time you pump it up, you get more money. But if you pump it up too much, it pops, right? And that is what's supposed to be measuring how risky you are supposed to be. And, and it works. I mean, it works. At least, you know, what, that, that's what is sort of the state of the art, right? But we went and we, we wanted to put that in a VR state. And so what they, these developers did is we put people in, uh, in these, like, situations. Like, the, the game that we made was this, like, Pokemon Snap kind of game where they would actually have to physically approach monsters and decide how much, how close or far away they want to get from these monsters before they would take a, a picture, right? And so if you're thinking about risk, right, like if you want, if you want to measure risk propensity, you have to make people feel like they're in a situation where they're taking a risk and you can't do that by popping a freaking balloon, right? And so I think that's one of the things, that's a really good example for assessments where it can be actually VR is incredibly well suited. It's not the same for a lot of a, a lot of different cognitive abilities. What do you think the limitations of VR are for classrooms and learning environments? So, and this is the, the tension why I think a lot of, uh, at least people in my field, are slower to embrace some of this technology is because as soon as you make your environment more complex, you get less control over what you think is happening in the game. And so you end up having this trade-off of being able to specifically control things and understand what's going on with the more, with the more kind of complexity you have. So I think the danger is that you actually, you make uh, either, you know, problems less specified and the, you have a less ability to be able to understand what's going right and what's going wrong in these situations. And I mean, and I think in a lot of times how that can actually come out is it turns into distractions. It actually has a, uh, a negative impact on learning. Real or no such thing, a future where VR is a huge part of uh, education and learning. I hope it's a part of education in the future. I think it can do incredible things, uh, but it has its place as a tool. It's not a. It's not going to solve every single problem, right? Like, you're. You know, if you want to create social in intimacy with people, like, you can maybe cause some empathy and. 
you know, with VR, transport people to different places to understand things better. But it, it's it's not going to be able to solve and target all the problems and issues that people face. So, real. I can't predict the future. I can't. That's great. I'm a scientist. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> I talked with uh, one gentleman by the name of he goes by Tony, uh, which is a pseudonym. He is a librarian, and I was really interested to hear some of his insights about what he sees as the future for VR in libraries. So, Tony, uh, tell me about um, your ideas about the most exciting thing about VR, specifically in education. Sure. So, I think games are the thing that I'm most excited about in virtual reality. Um, And I think it's because it can make students and just people in general, it can make them love the technology and really connect with it. Um, And I think this is something that's not necessarily new um, because I think that all these educational uh, games that a lot of us grew up playing, like Oregon Trail and Where in the World is Carmen San Diego, I think that was, I, I don't know, those get, I think, sometimes slighted now. Um, but I think what they did was they made us sort of literate in using a computer interface, using a mouse, using a keyboard, and it made us love computers in a way that, I don't know, like maybe coding wouldn't necessarily, or uh, or just telling somebody that it was really important and that it would be important in the future. Um, I think that it succeeded in a way that maybe those kinds of messages wouldn't have. So you think it's a digital environment that might get young people more excited about uh, the digital world and uh, making and doing things with tech? Yeah, I mean, I think that that seeing a game and having it be sort of this, you know, beautiful, immersive experience, I I don't really like the word immersive. Because <laughs> I actually, I, I mean, there's a really interesting thing going on with VR where it sort of makes you feel less connected, right, to reality. Um, yet more connected to this fake world. and But I think that's a really interesting thing because it's the same thing that books do for us, um, is they make you feel at, at once sort of more in tune with this world, you know, either a fantasy world or a historical world in a way that you never would if, uh, you know, in another medium. Um, but it also distances yourself. And I think that that sort of push and pull and that friction is what's really interesting about art and literature and and you know potentially virtual reality what's the as you're an educator correct yes so what what is the um, what do you think the barriers are the challenge to introducing VR in uh, learning environments in uh, a public space say like a library sure um, so, I mean, the obvious ones are, you know, the cost of the technology and the hardware. Um, I think that that's really, and then the ongoing cost of, like, really quality software is, you know, hopefully gonna, going to support artists and they're going to be commercially viable. Um, and so that's sort of an ongoing cost, even when you do have the hardware installs in place. Um, I guess one of the big surprises, though, to me, I think, is the sort of intimacy of VR. So, you know, placing a headset over your eyes and 
uh, you know, headphones on. Um, you're in a really vulnerable state. And I, again, I think that that's not like a negative vulnerable. I think it's a really powerful thing, but I think it's something that, you know, as an educator, you definitely have to take into account is that, you know, another student coming up behind them and scaring them, that's, I mean, it's bad in a normal video game or like computer, you know, any anything on the computer screen, but it's especially sort of jarring in, in virtual reality because you are sort of, you're at the mercy of the person running the program or you know the people around you. And so I think that that's really, really important is to sort of protect that sort of very intimate you know, technology space that they're in. So uh, real or no such thing, a future where VR is a huge part of young people's lives and learning experiences. I think virtual reality as it stands now, and then we, you know, there's all these other possibilities, mixed reality, augmented reality. I think those are all possible futures. Um, I don't know, I like to take a very science fiction approach where I, I do see that all these are sort of viable paths forward um, because obviously flat screens are not probably going to be the you know thing that we use in the future. Um, but I. I don't know that, I think that it's really important to sort of have a clear vision of what we want students to come away with or, you know, what we want people that we share this technology to come away with. And I think that that, the sort of the content should come first rather than the technology. Like it's very exciting to like try out new technology, but I think that the content really has to be there. And the content really, I mean, you should be able to like have a text side by side with a virtual reality experience and they should be equally informative and, you know, equally captivating, maybe in totally different ways or maybe in a complementary ways. But I think that when we get too wrapped up in like how immersive sort of a virtual reality experience is versus a text, I think that that's where you lose the thread. What's the scariest possibility for VR in education? The Matrix. <laughs> What's the most exciting possibility? Uh, the most exciting possibility would be we created the artists of tomorrow and that we give them sort of a technological background that's going to allow them to succeed in, you know, whether that be in, you know, a career, like a STEM career, or in a totally sort of hobbyist way in which they can, they feel free to express themselves or they're a part-time artist or something like that. Like that's, especially in New York City, I think that that's a really captivating idea is that, you know, not necessarily that we're inspiring them to do what they're gonna do for their day job or to make money, but that they're gonna understand that that's, you know, something open to them. I also talked with Geneva Hayward, who was really generous to actually sort of phone in some of her responses about what she thought about the summit. I saw her there, and we didn't get to catch up at the event, uh, at the festival. We sat on a panel together, and she has won a number of awards this year in uh, game designs that she submitted. She is going into her senior year as a high school student, 
and it's just an incredible talent. We're going to talk more with her in an upcoming episode, and we're going to get deeper into games, but uh, check out what Geneva has to say about the VR Summit. The third day of the Games for Change Festival was the best, especially during the VR after party. There was this really cool game called Space Pirates where you actually had to move around to like shoot these ships that were shooting at you. It just really felt energizing because of like how much I had to move around. But what was overwhelming was this game called Serious Sam VR. And one of the levels was in this really dark cave and you couldn't like move around like space pirates, you could only shoot. And the enemies just kept coming at you, like directly at your face basically. And there's a spider and it was just really creepy to me. <laughs> and speaking of fear actually, um, a lot of people, including myself, fear that VR will take over people's lives and people will get lost in their headsets because of how real things will feel to them. But that fear is just really small for me. Like, I bet people might have thought about that, about most of the new technology we have now, and yet we aren't all locked in. Sure, some people might be, but the majority isn't, which is a good thing. What really excites me is how VR can shape the world for good, like how other games can have positive impacts on people's lives. After playing a lot of games at the VR for Change Summit, I learned how people can have a lot more empathy from VR. I was able to experience this interactive documentary called Testimony, as well as try White Cane and Common Ground, which is this game where you're like basically shopping for groceries, but like you're experiencing this while like having a disability, like a like a slight well not slight a sight disability and just both of those vr experiences made me see life in a different way because you're seeing life in someone else's eyes basically and it's just really impacted me with ar though i haven't really played nor witnessed enough augmented reality to be excited for it but i'm sure people can still make just as amazing work with ar and also going back to vr vr can help a lot in the classrooms after playing Super Chem VR, I thought to myself, wow, if students just use VR instead of actual chemicals, it would save materials for science classes and also make things less dangerous too. And I really do hope that VR does play a role in classrooms since it's just extremely fun. Like games like Kahoot and Quizlet have been fun to use in classrooms as well as educational, at least to me, I've learned a lot while having my teachers play Kahoot. And so I don't see why VR wouldn't be a thought for the future. Um, thanks for interviewing me and have a nice day. This podcast was produced in partnership with City University of New York's master's program in youth studies. Learn more at sps.cuny.edu. And Mouse, a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us at mouse.org. Sound assistance was provided by Alex Fleming. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, and a young person who I once had the pleasure of working with. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. The podcast is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found linked wherever you downloaded the show.